electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Big Tech's Big Hearing. Breaking down the six-hour remote Capitol Hill hearing with Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Cook, and Sundar Pichai, tech glitches and all. Mr. Bezos, I believe you're on mute. Grilled by Congress, the four titans of tech defended their acquisitions, their privacy standards, and their revenue streams. Former White House Chief Technology Officer Anish Chopra explains what might have changed for big tech's business and regulation. The active investigations at the state attorneys general, FTC, and the Department of Justice may or may not have heard something new that could be added to the docket for them to investigate on those core judgments. And Senator Mark Warner on his long-term concerns for breaking up those companies. I'm not in the break them up category yet um, because these are all global companies and frankly, um, to, to have them replaced by Alibaba or Badu or Tencent, Chinese companies may not be the better alternative. It's Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Wilford Frost. Joe's out today, but Wilf, welcome. It's Thank good to you, see guys. you. It's great to be back. I'm, I haven't done this for a while. I was going to say it's one of, it's I know, one of the, I was just thinking that. the downsides of, of lockdown is I haven't been on the squawk shift, but I'm not sure downside is quite oh. the right word, but I am delighted to be here today. The, the morning shift. Welcome. Excellent. Welcome. It's, nice it's to see you. Excellent to have you here. I've been watching you in the afternoons all through this, and uh, we're really glad to have you with us. Thank you. Lawmakers came out swinging yesterday against Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Facebook at an historic antitrust hearing held with CEOs Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Sundar Pichai, and Mark Zuckerberg over remote webcam. Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you ought to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge? information and belief, so help you God. Yes. Yes, dear. Let the record show the witnesses answered in the affirmative thank you and you may remain seated. Members of the House Judiciary Committee's antitrust subcommittee used charged language like too much power, anti-competitive acquisition, and emperors as they aired their concerns about those four giant platforms. Here's the subcommittee chairman, Democrat Peter Cicilline of Rhode Island. Our founders would not bow before a king nor should we bow before the emperors of the online economy. And ranking member Wisconsin's Jim Sensenbrenner pointing out political concerns about size. Does big tech have a bias? Conservatives are consumers too, and they need the protection of the antitrust laws. Both sides of the aisle had their opportunity to highlight this core conflict between Washington and Silicon Valley, that antitrust enforcement can fix whatever is challenging or concerning about big tech. The CEOs, for their part, say we haven't squashed the competition. Here's Pichai, Cook, and Zuckerberg. Competition drives us to innovate, and it also leads to better products, lower choices, and more choices for everyone. The customers have a lot of choices, and that our products face fierce competition. Companies like Samsung, LG, Huawei, and Google have built successful businesses with different approaches. We're okay with that. 
Our goal is the best, not the most. But I recognize that there are concerns about the size and power of tech companies. Our services are about connection, and our business model is advertising, and we face intense competition in both. Amazon's e-commerce dominance sparked a few intense moments after CEO Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world with a personal fortune of about $180 billion, didn't get a question until nearly two hours into the hearing, apparently due to a tech glitch. But then the pressure was on. Bezos was asked about undercutting diapers.com before buying it, Amazon's counterfeit problem, whether Alexa favors Amazon's own products. Many times, he didn't have the answer. I don't remember uh, that at Thank all. Uh, what you. I remember is that we we, we, we matched competitive prices and we I believe we followed diapers.com. Again, this is 11 years ago. I think what I should do is offer to get you information and if you, I'll, I'll, I'll get it to your office for you. I read that article, but I didn't remember that piece of it. I, I apologize for that. Uh, I don't know the specifics of that situation and I would be uh, happy to get back to your office with more information about that. These questions for Bezos and Amazon strike at the heart of the antitrust issues that have been building for years as these four companies that we use every day, every single day, grow and grow larger with a combined market cap of about $5 trillion. If they were their own stock exchange, they'd be the fourth largest in the world. Here's Vice Chair Joe Neguse to Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. It strikes me that over the course of the last several years, Facebook has used its market power to either you know, purchase or replicate the competition. And Facebook, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram are the most now downloaded apps of the last decade. Your company, sir, owns them all. And we have a word for that. That word is monopoly. My takeaway, I don't know, I don't know if, how much of it you guys watched. I, th I thought some of it was fascinating. I Enough. thought there were a couple good questions, not, not a lot of great questions. thought there's a lot of some good answers, some not good answers. But I didn't think that there was a major takeaway that all of a sudden, uh, you know, Washington was going to come down hard on these companies. And I didn't think there was evidence that was presented that was going to create that challenge. Uh, I thought the most challenging piece of, uh, of, of news out there, but I think we had seen it before, was Instagram and Facebook and some of the emails back and forth. Did you ever use this very similar Facebook camera product to threaten Instagram's founder, Kevin Seistrom? Uh, Congresswoman, I'm, I'm not sure what you would mean by threaten. I think it was public that we were building a, a camera app at the, at the time. In a chat, you told Mr. Seistrom that Facebook was, quote, developing our own photo strategy, so how we engage now will also determine how much we're partners versus competitors down the line. Instagram's founder seemed to think that was a threat. He confided, confided in an investor at the time that he feared you would go, he would, that you would go into, quote, destroy mode if he didn't sell Instagram to you. I want to respectfully disagree with the characterization. But even if you really dug into the emails and didn't take them out of context, I thought you'd have a hard case to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought on, on the point with Facebook, as, as you rightly pointed to, that quite a few different uh, lawmakers went after Mark Zuckerberg on, on the topic of their competition practices, whether he considered some of those uh, companies they've taken over, like WhatsApp and Instagram, as competitors at that point, which he had acknowledged that they had been, which kind of caused a bit of a stir. Facebook has been engaged in purchasing competition, uh, in some cases replicating competition, uh, and in some cases eliminating your competition. Would that be a fair statement? The space of, of people connecting with other people is a very large space. And I, I would agree that uh, there were different approaches that we took to, to addressing different parts of, of that space, but it's all in service of building the best services. 
and likewise uh, that they, they had tried to copy some of the uh, particular tools that, that other rivals, whether they bought them or not, uh, use, uh, including, of course, the stories feature on Snap, which I thought was quite interesting. But to your point, Andrew, as to whether we, we conclude from yesterday that uh, significant action uh, from lawmakers is imminent, even if we got a, a Dem sweep at the next election, the market didn't take that conclusion. Uh, and those tech right. stocks hit session highs during the hearing. But the interesting dichotomy, which goes to the question, uh, of how much did we manage to watch. I watched as much as I could, apart from when Fed Chair Jay Powell was speaking, and I watched that instead. Right. Uh, and you had uh, one side of Washington, of course, uh, pressuring these tech stocks, the other uh, part uh, saying that, you know, we're here as long as it takes. We're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about raising rates. And that allowed all, uh, not just the tech stocks, but all stocks to rise uh, and close at a pretty strong session yesterday. Can I, can I just ask, whoever buys a company that's not a competitor? I mean, right. is that news? The idea that you would buy a competitor? What, what, what merger has ever taken place among a company that, that is in an entirely different area that you wouldn't consider a competitor? I mean, watching this yesterday was complete theater, just like it often is with these congressional hearings. At the beginning, they were asking questions and not even letting them answer. So this was really about giving Congress people their time to have their six minutes to talk and, and to go through with some of these things. What? I didn't feel like I learned a lot under, under it yesterday. I I couldn't take right. my eyes off it when I was watching it, but it, it was theater. We had that classic, uh, you're taking so up one... my time comments from lawmakers uh, when they weren't right. getting the answer they wanted to hear. I, I, I totally agree on that, but I would say, compared to, say, 2018, when Mark Zuckerberg had to go to face lawmakers on his own, uh, they, they were better prepared. Yeah. And then they had, even if it was them making arguments rather than letting uh, the, the CEOs answer their questions, they made better arguments. They brought up more pertinent facts, right. whether that was, uh, is Amazon abusing uh, small uh, sellers on its, on its uh, platform? In 2013, it was reported that you instructed Amazon employees to approach discussions with certain business partners, and I quote, the way a cheetah would pursue a sickly gazelle. Is the gazelle project still in place, and does Amazon pursue similar predatory campaigns in other parts of its business? I, I, I cannot uh, uh, comment on that because I don't remember it. Is Apple misusing uh, the margins it takes on the App Store? What's to stop Apple from increasing its commission to 50 percent? We, sir, we have never increased commissions in the store since the first day it operated in 2008. There's nothing what, to stop you from doing so, is it? No, sir, I disagree strongly with that. There is a competition for developers just like there's a competition for customers. So I, I think they were getting at the crux of some of the issues, but uh, as we're, I think, all concluding, it, it didn't uh, spell imminent danger for the tech stocks uh, just because of that hearing. Right. Just one, one note, though, on the c competitor um, comment or, or, or issue that you were just discussing, Becky, which is an interesting one. We often talk on the show about how mono being a monopoly unto itself is not illegal. And, and you just commented that you can't yeah. buy, you know, everybody wants to buy a competitor. Interestingly, if you are deemed a monopoly, which is not illegal, but you have that market power, it actually is illegal to buy a competitor. And so if you really go back and read Mark right. Zuckerberg's emails, even about the Instagram transaction, right. he actually even doubled back on one of his emails because I think he realized that given the uh, power that they have in that industry, depending on how you define it, that he had to almost rewrite the email later to suggest, no, 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 I'm not trying to do that. This, he was, by the way, thinking about this even in 2010. You can almost 
if you if you look through the emails, you can sort of see how he's tracking in his mind uh, the way he's thinking about it. So, yes, everybody always wants to Which buy a competitor. Smart, but, but interestingly, answer, at the, at the size and that. scale that these companies are now, it's very hard to do that, actually. His, so, his answer for at what the time was that the FTC had all the same information that, that they had at that point, and the FTC approved right. it. And that's, and that's going to be the other interesting element of this, which is, will the government or would the government be willing to go back and effectively unapproved transactions that have been approved before? Having said that, by the way, it's been done before. It's not that it, there have been instances where the government has approved a transaction um, and even years later, the, just, the Justice Department has gone back to relook at deals that have been approved um, many, many years later. So that's it. It, it would be aberrational. Yeah. It's not I, that it, it's not something that happens commonly, but it does happen. Not impossible. As somebody who lives but in it, a it, lives in a family of uh, antitrust lawyers, this is what we talk about all the time. Yeah, I, I think Jim Cramer ha has the right take on this. He was talking last night on Mad Money about how this is really the one area where uh, America excels at this point. We have so many other places where we've fallen behind, so many other places where we've taken big black eyes, like with, with Boeing and some of the issues that have happened there. He said, look, this is the place that we dominate. This is the place we're really great at. And hopefully we can come to some way of trying to potentially regulate these companies further without squashing innovation there. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Joining us right now is Anish Chopra, the former White House chief technology officer under President Obama, who is also the current president of Care Journey. That's a healthcare analytics firm. And uh, thank you for being here today, Anish. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me again. After watching what happened yesterday, which one of these four companies and CEOs is in the most perilous position? Well, it depends on the nature of the intervention. In my opinion, there may be a broader uh, policy move afoot in Washington to revisit some key assumptions about what it means for competition policy. And if those assumptions change, it might have effect for the industry as a whole. And namely, uh, this concept of a consumer harm standard for the basis of determining whether or not there's been a need for government intervention. And what you heard are individual case examples. I do think uh, the uh, conversation between Congresswoman Jayapal and uh, Bezos did uh, surface new information to the public. Does Amazon ever access and use third-party seller data when making business decisions? And just a yes or no will suffice, sir. Uh, I can't answer that question, yes or no. What I can tell you is we have a policy against using seller-specific data uh, to aid our private label business. Uh, but I can't guarantee you that that policy has never been violated. That gives people a window into uh, how these decisions are made, but they all are part of a broader fabric as to whether or not, just because the price for the service is apparently free on, on sort of the retail sense of the word, uh, that there may be still harm, and as a result, triggering the potential for intervention. And if that judgment changes, then it has implications across tech as a whole. Yeah, I, I mean, Amazon kind of wrapped itself, Bezos wrapped himself in, in this whole idea that consumers love Amazon. Um, they cited statistics saying 80% of customers love them. And right now in particular, when there have been so many people trapped at home and relying on Amazon, that's absolutely true. But what you're suggesting is that that might not be enough, that your customers love you? No. And so among the you know fundamental debates in Washington is to kind of revisit the original 100-plus-year statute and all the court jurisdictions that have followed to say, you know, price has certainly been a historical point of view, but there are other questions. To what degree do these companies uh, stifle innovation in terms of limiting new market entrants or for some degree uh, reducing the quality of service 
that we get. So we may pay nothing for it, but we get maybe in some cases a less than ideal service. So is there a way by which we revisit some of those core assumptions? The real hearing, in my opinion, is about two things. One, there's an inkling of bipartisan interest around some of these core regulatory issues, separate from the uh, anti-conservative bias discussion. You heard members on the right and the left say, when we regulate this, as an example. So there is a perception that there's an inkling now of potential bipartisanship around certain uh, policy issues around big tech. But secondly, the active investigations at the state attorneys general, FTC, and the Department of Justice may or may not have heard something new that could be added to the docket for them to investigate on those core judgments as to whether or not they have the authority today to revisit some of these uh, definitions of harm. Hey, Anish, Andrew and I were having a conversation earlier. I'm not sure if you heard it this morning, but um, just kind of digging into the idea of Facebook's acquisition of Instagram and questions that have been raised that have been raised about that and whether they were too big at the time, whether they were kind of pressuring them into agreeing to an acquisition. And Andrew brings up the good point that look, just because the FTC signed off on it in the past doesn't necessarily mean that they can't undo uh, what they had approved before. How likely do you think something like that is? I don't see it particularly likely, but I do think there may be conditions that might enable more competition. So if you think about some of the big challenges of uh, the internet economy, the pressure to kind of keep people within your network versus enabling them to more easily move around, if I could take my profile with me uh, across uh, competing platforms, then perhaps I might be able to more easily shop for alternatives. So there may be conditions that enable uh, some of that uh, uh, increasing the potential for competition that I'd be looking for. I will say at the time, if you recall, many people were just aghast. I mean, I was out of government at the time, but it was just an unbelievable investment, uh, a company of 17 people north of a billion dollars. And so, you know, in hindsight, you could say, what an incredible smart move in terms of building up a new uh, ecosystem. But at the time, I think it was seen as a, you know, a, a very small uh, business that, that there's, you know, the valuations were pretty high. So it's really easy to look backwards and say, gosh, this is, this is generating harm. The only new thing is whether or not the motivation that led to the acquisition and some of the emails that were cited in the hearing are part of a docket that suggests that perhaps uh, the old style rules about how you play fair in the industry uh, do apply, even if the service is technically free. So let's just recap. Facebook cloned a popular product approached the company you identified as a competitive threat and told them that if they didn't let you buy them up, there would be consequences. Uh, were there any other companies that you uh, use the same tactic with while attempting to buy them? I want to respectfully disagree with the characterization. Maybe we heard something new in the public, but that it had been known to the uh, folks that have been pursuing these cases, so it wasn't really new to them, and we'd be getting the information anyway. But for the public, getting some of that in the boardroom-like uh, feel did, I think, create some public awareness that there uh, may be some areas that we need to dig a bit deeper on competition policy. Anish, I, Anisha, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, what the government's trying to do in this case is to engineer an outcome. I mean, I think we have to appreciate that's, that's what's happening here. And you can believe the, the, the government knows how to engineer an outcome or doesn't. I'm probably in the category of thinking that it's likely that they don't. But in terms of pricing, when you say when you look at Apple as a platform or you look at um, Amazon as a platform, if you were to tell Amazon you can't make white label batteries or if you told 
Apple that you can't, you have to have a separate app store or, or let app stores compete on your platform. The likely, at least in the immediate term, the likely outcome is you'll pay more for batteries, not less, because the white label batteries are putting pressure on everybody else's battery prices, right? And you'll pay more to buy an iPhone because it won't be subsidized effectively by the app store since Apple's going to be competing against something else. Why should a third-party seller list their product on Amazon if they're just going to be undercut by Amazon-owned product as a result of data you take from them? So how much do you think that is actually thought through in the minds of lawmakers? Yeah, well, right now the lawmakers are trying to make sure that there's rules on the books that allow for some expert agency, in this case the FTC, perhaps the Justice Department and state AGs, have the tools they need to answer the very specific questions that you're asking. I don't believe Congress is intending to micromanage uh, outcomes in the way that you may have described. When you said manage, I think what you're uh, inferring is that they want to make sure there are tools on the books such that if there are evidence of harm, it'd be one thing if we get uh, cheaper batteries, but the price we pay to get those cheaper batteries is the squashing of competition because of misuse of information that maybe should not have been used in that setting. So there may be other more surgical interventions that have uh, maybe a bit of a remedy to the core problem without the broader uh, issues uh, at risk, not by Congress. That is the type of reason why we have expert agencies that are in the midst of doing their job. And the big debate is, do they have the tools to do the job? My instinct, Andrew, is probably the most likely outcome is less about a new competition law, maybe a little bit of a revisiting about standard, but privacy policy was the hidden undertow of a lot of what you heard yesterday. And if we had robust privacy policy and data sharing and interoperability uh, frameworks, uh, many of the underlying challenges might actually be addressed. And so it'd be interesting to see how Congress pivots on a privacy bill, which in bias has been a priority of mine since the Obama administration. But I do believe uh, that there may be an area in which regulatory action, legislative action may look like that, uh, than micromanaging an app store economic model. Anish, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Next on Squawk Pod, Senator Mark Warner weighs in on tech and antitrust. I think we ought to have more transparency. So we get rid of this misnomer that somehow these, these services are free. They take your data, right. they monetize it. There's nothing wrong with that, but we ought to at least know as consumers how much that data is worth. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Wilfred Frost, who is in for Joe, who's out today. If there was ever a big week for America's tech industry, this is it. Tonight, of course, we're, get, we're going to be getting uh, quarterly results. We'll hear from Apple, we'll hear from Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. And those numbers will come just a day after uh, the CEOs of those four companies got grilled uh, at that hearing in Washington, D.C., 
just yesterday, guys. And, you know, one of the things I don't I don't know, we're going to get to talk to Senator Warner about all this in just just a minute. But one of the things that I'm not sure has come out and maybe it's overnight that more people are starting to see some of it is a lot of the document production. You know, it was one thing to watch to watch the hearing yesterday. There's another thing to really read through so many of those emails and really try to understand the power dynamic. We talked about the Facebook, Instagram situation, but I thought one of the more interesting uh, back and forth was actually between Jeff Bezos and Apple, actually Eddie Q at Apple, uh, over whether Amazon's uh, TV service or the Prime TV service could appear on the Apple, uh, the, the Apple TV. And historically, as you know, Apple takes 30% of any subscription digitally. It's why if you ever try to use your Kindle device and try to buy a book on Kindle or try to buy a book on the, the, the Amazon app, you can't. Amazon doesn't want to pay the 30% that Apple charges. And Apple says 30% is for everybody, that they don't make exceptions. Well, if you read the emails, you'll see what really happened was because Amazon also had some leverage over them, Amazon wasn't selling Apple TVs and other things on Amazon as a way to get, get leverage on them. And basically, uh, Amazon or Apple, rather, ultimately capitulated and said, OK, we'll do a special deal for you at 15%. And so it shows sort of the, the, the pressures, but that's when you have big companies uh, involved. And so I think the larger point is if it's a big company, it's one thing, but the smaller companies really don't have that leverage at all. And this sort of raises the sort of larger power dynamic antitrust uh, issues that uh, we've all been uh, talking about these past couple of days. And, and we certainly didn't didn't see uh, anything definitive, uh, an acknowledgement of that from Tim Cook uh, in the hearing, though he did right. say and try and make the point that they've never increased the fee from 30 percent. He was right. repeatedly asked, what stops you in the future abusing your market power by increasing the fee from where it is? Uh, to which he just uh, kept saying, well, we've never done that once as his way to sort of avoid the answer that it was already so high. Uh, the, the other one that really stood out for me is, as you said, we touched on the, the Facebook and it's, uh, how it's uh, dealt with its rivals, what was the questions uh, on whether or not Amazon misuses its position because it has smaller third-party sellers on its platform. Uh, and there was absolutely no admission no. or acknowledgement from Jeff Bezos uh, that there's been any uh, wrongdoing in that regard. But he wasn't as resounding and confident that it had never happened, uh, I, I felt, on some of those questions uh, as he could have been. He, quite a few of those occasions of saying, yes, we'll get back to you on that. Uh, I'm certainly not aware of it. But it wasn't an unequivocal right. response. So I, I, I do think, Andrew, perhaps this is what uh, you were alluding to, there's scope for further investigation. There's scope for follow-up on a lot of these questions that came up, whether that's from the comments we heard yesterday or the documents, as you say, that have, uh, have come out and dripped out since. thought it was fascinating. For more on what we heard from the big tech CEOs and new challenges to the industry and um, what they could be facing, I want to bring in our guest, Virginia Senator Mark Warner. He joins us on the phone right now. He's, a, he's spearheading, of course, a number of efforts to regulate big tech. Senator, you, you watched the hearings yesterday. Was there a big takeaway for, for you in terms of what you think may change as a result of those hearings? Well, first of all, sorry, um, in a, in, when we're doing a tech segment, the fact that I couldn't get my computer oh. to fully work this morning and I'm doing it by You're phone. On the is, phone. Uh, we're just, we're a, just happy to have you, Senator. A little bit of an indication. Well, listen, I think these four companies have enormous power. I could argue that these four companies rival Standard Oil and some of the trusts that took place at the beginning of the 20th century. And if we back for a moment, and 
uh, some of your viewers may recall my background was as a venture capitalist, as an entrepreneur. And if we've looked at just the fact that uh, you know 50% of the new jobs created in the last 30 years have come from startups in our country, yet venture deals are down about 40% since 2015, I know my, many of my friends in the venture business say, you know, there's no way to go to scale anymore. Your only exit is not going public. Your exit is selling to one of these big platforms. And I actually think their size um, stymie a bit of competition. Now, it, it's a complicated world in a world where data is king. Data is the new oil. If you don't aggregate enough data, it is tough to get to scale. But I think um, some of the... Uh, uh, the CEO's um, testimony was a little bit self-serving. Well, Senator, my, my question is, to the degree, you, it sounds like you, you, you're in the camp of breaking them up. The question is, how would you do it? And if you were to do it, what do you think the result is going to be? And, and the reason I say that is because if you were to break up Amazon, ostensibly, one of the things we've talked about is consumer prices have come down, or at least it appears from the outside, as if consumer prices have come down on virtually all of, all of the products that these types of companies uh, offer. And so, you know, how much more do you, do you think the price is going to come? Are we now, it's not about whether the price goes up, it's about how much the price goes down, and, and do you think that would actually happen? Well, I think first of all, to decide, you know, American antitrust, has always been about price to consumer only. Um, I'm not sure whether that is the only gauge we should be judging these companies on. There's concepts like monoscopy and you know overall control of the market that the Europeans have. And I'm not in the break it up, break them up category yet, um, because these are all global companies, and frankly, um, to, to have them replaced by Alibaba or Badu or Tencent. Chinese companies may not be the better alternative. What I would rather start with, keeping breakup as a reserve option, is what can we do to add more competition? I was a telecom guy. There used to be a great deal of concentration in telecom until, one, the government took action in terms of breaking up AT&T, but two, the whole idea of number portability. Back in the 90s, it used to be really hard to move from one telco to another. If we had data portability, if you're tired of how you're being treated with YouTube or Facebook, you ought to be able to easily move your data to a new platform and still have it interoperable with those uh, cust those of your friends who remain on Facebook. I think we ought to have more transparency. I think we ought to be able to know what your data is worth on a either monthly or quarterly basis so we get rid of this misnomer that somehow these, these services are free. They take your data, right. they monetize it. There's nothing wrong with that, but we ought to at least know as consumers how much that data is worth. I think we ought to um, recognize that there are a series of practices, uh, deceptive practices, frankly, using dark patterns and other technology tools that these companies use to, to um, get our data, oftentimes unknowingly, that, again, there ought to be more transparency. I think there are a series of pro-competition rules of the road that I would much rather use first before I immediately default to the breakup camp. Senator, where do you stand on the Amazon and Apple issue as a platform uh, for third-party sellers insofar as 
the idea that an, an Amazon can see what's selling well and then can say, you know what, we're going to, we sell, you see batteries are selling well, we're going to do white label batteries. Or Apple can say, you know, we see this app is really working. We see people love uh, this type of app. We should actually build in an app like this into our service. It's not that different, by the way, than when Walmart or any other store sees a product is working or not and decides in certain cases to manufacture something themselves and how we should think about that. Well, it's kind of like, you know, uh, the old vertical integration. If you, you know, if you, if you can produce products, take them to the marketplace, and you can control a vast number of eyeballs, do we really want to have that level of control within, within one company? Um, so where, where I would start, you know, I, some of my colleagues and obviously a lot of the state's attorney generals are, are focusing on straight antitrust, straight traditional breakup. I would much rather try a series of, of competitive ventures like data portability, like interoperability, like banning and prohibiting, you know, some of the deceptive practices like dark patterns uh, that companies use to, you know, unknowingly solicit data. I'd love to, you know, I think we need privacy legislation. I think we need, you know, if there is, there is an idea, no matter how many times a company sends you a, a legalese document where your immediate default is clicking saying, I agree, I think we ought to introduce a concept of what, what, what I'm calling delegability. Can we, in a sense, bring in a third party that I would grant the, them the ability to kind of monitor my data or at least help guide me with these extraordinarily large platforms who have way too much disproportionate power. Right. Uh, Senator, we always appreciate your time. There's a longer conversation to be had, and we hope to have you back very soon to talk the, about the, it. The, Thanks the so last, much. Last, just one last quick point, though, is the other thing that we didn't do with yesterday, which is we still need to grapple with the issue of outside interference in elections, and these platforms all owe, yes. owe us an obligation as well on that subject. Another part of our next conversation. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way here to the end. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.